If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Acts, and we're going to be in chapter 10 this week, Acts chapter 10, and I meant to say this earlier and all of that, but if you are here, we want to see you at lunch immediately following. If you notice in your bulletin, I just put it as part of the agenda. So we do the benediction, and then we dismiss to first Sunday lunch. That's what we're doing today. So you signed up to be here, so you're here. And so we would love for you to join us. I do not care if you have $5 to pay for it at all. I mean, I would appreciate it. It helps us offset the cost. But that is not going to stop anybody. It should not stop anybody. I also decided this week we're just going to put a family max of $15 on these things because I don't want families to have any reason not to be a part of what we are doing. And so, uh, Fafs, you got a lucky day today, right? (laughs) So, no, um, we want you to be a part of this. The reason we're doing these lunches is because we want to create community and create relationships. Whether you've been here for years and years or whether you've just been here for a few weeks, we want you to feel like, as we're talking about, you belong here. And so it makes sense to do our lunch along that. So, today we're going to be in Book of Acts, chapter 10, and we're doing this idea of you belong here. And so I got to thinking, I first had written, and you'll see it crossed out here, this idea of segregation and all of this, because at the university I grew up, the governor of our state stood on the doorsteps of Foster's Auditorium and said, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. And we've come a long way since, and yet we still have a long way to go. But I wouldn't want to get that serious to start off this morning, so I got to thinking, where are places I don't feel like I belong? So this is awkward to say, but I don't feel like I belong when I'm walking around with Carlin in a department store and we end up in the intimate section. (laughs) My dad and I would uh, push each other into the racks of bras and so to make jokes. I don't feel like I belong. I just am kind of sitting there like, okay, can we get out of here, please? Like, this is just awkward. Uh, I don't really like that. I didn't feel like I belonged. A couple months back, I was at, uh, I got to speak at chapel at Dallas Baptist University, and the president invited me to lunch after that, and a few other faculty members, and we went to this really nice room, the president's like eating room, and there were more forks than I knew what to do with. And so I just kind of watched everybody as they would pick this one up. Okay, that's the one we use for this part of the meal, and this is the one, and so I didn't belong. I'm a kid from Alabama. I don't know which knife and spoon and fork to use at the right times. When when we don't feel like we belong, we're shy, we're timid, we're unsure. We watch for clues as to how others are operating so that we can try to just fit in. We try to not ever make a scene. We sneak in late. We leave early. We don't want to be found out. And honestly, the whole process, the whole experience is unnerving. We just want it to end. 
When you feel like an outsider that you don't belong, you are so worried that at some point you are going to be found out for the imposter that you feel like you are. They must know that I don't belong here. I'm not fancy enough, good enough, educated enough. I, I don't belong. When we don't belong, we just want to be away from it. And it's why here at First Baptist, the first value we are going to speak of, and we're going to try to talk about these on the first of the month, the first value we want to speak of is you belong here. You do. You belong here. And we want you to feel that. And to know that, because there's a difference from saying you can come here or you are welcome here. To be welcome somewhere or to be able to be somewhere is different than belonging somewhere. I was thinking back about this, and when we lived in Atlanta, Carlin and I went to the fancy mall one time. You know, kind of like North Park Mall, where like there's those stores that I don't even know why I'm walking past them. I can't afford anything in there. And we were in the fancy mall one time, and there was a store, and the dress looked great. I said, Corlin, let's go in there. Well, it had two extra place values from what we typically spend at Old Navy and Gap. When we walked in, though, they knew we didn't belong because it's one of those stores that has security guards. And they began to follow us in our Old Navy clothes. And it took one time of looking at the price tag, realizing that's not 40, that's 4,000. And we just kind of walked out. We didn't belong. We could be there, sure. We didn't belong there. See, anybody can be at most churches. But there are so many horror stories of people that never felt like they belonged. Yeah, the sign said they were open. The, the doors were open to us, but I did not belong. See, we say here, you belong here. Whether you come with extensive biblical knowledge, whether you have paragraphs of the Bible memorized, or whether you're just hungry physically or spiritually, thirsty physically or spiritually, whether you're doubting or confused, you're apathetic or unsure why you even rolled out of bed this day and showed up here, we want you to know you belong here. So today, we're going to a passage that breaks down all the barriers known to man. It is the passage that is pivotal in salvation history. After the resurrection of Jesus, this is probably the most impactful passage of the whole Scripture. And so we're going to study it today. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously uh, to the people, and he prayed continually to God. I want to stop there for a moment. We meet a person at the beginning of chapter 10, by the name of Cordelius. He is a Roman centurion. It says that he's over the Italian cohort. Some of the research thinks that maybe it's like an archery division that's a little bigger than 100 people. But anyways, he is a military officer of Rome. What that means is he is the figurehead of Roman occupation of the Promised Land. He is the daily and constant reminder that things are not how we want them to be or how they should be. 
He is like a tax collector despised, but different than a tax collector. He is not a Jewish defector and traitor. No, he is a Gentile that has moved into their land and that is making them live differently. Despised and hated. This is who we are speaking of. He is an outsider in Israel. He is an other. And it says that Cornelius... Um, is a devout man. He is a charitable man. He is a prayerful man. He practices his faith daily. It's personal to him. But he's not a Jew. To be a Jew, he would have to have been circumcised. He would have to have been baptized. And then he would have to make an offering, a sacrifice. He is not a Jew. He has not done those things. So he stands in the court of the Gentiles. He, he's not allowed in with everyone else. And the book of Acts has been setting us up to understand that the gospel is beginning to reach beyond what we ever thought was possible. See, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts 8, we see Philip now is preaching to the Samaritans. We see an Ethiopian eunuch coming to faith and being baptized in Acts 8. And now we see a Gentile. What does Gentile mean? Just not Jew. A person of another nation. We see a Gentile now coming into focus. Verses 3 through 8, and we can't read everything today because we have 45 verses I think we're covering. Verses 3 through 8, it shows us that Cornelius receives a vision. The vision tells him to send men to go and find this man named Peter. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. And he says, go and get Peter and he will come in to teach you. So Cornelius obeys, and he sends men. Verse 9, let's jump down there. The next day, as they were on the journey, that's just the men he sent, the three men that he sent, and they were approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. The sixth hour is noontime, so he became hungry. The Bible gets you, okay? It's real people and real experiences. He's hungry. It's noon. And he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds of the air. And there, a voice, and there came a voice to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Peter is now hungry. It's noon. He's gone up to pray. Peter is practicing like a good Jew, like a good Pharisee, because, see, in, in biblical times, it was... It was um, common to practice a prayer at 9 a.m. and at 3 p.m., but the Pharisees added a midday prayer at the sixth hour or at noon where they would go up and they were just adding prayer and adding ritual. And so Peter here is a good Jew and he is practicing these good things. So he goes up and he is praying at noontime. 
And when he does, he falls into this trance. See, he too gets a vision from God, just like Cornelius. Two visions, one chapter. There's a lot going on here. God is about to do something significant. The vision is of a sheet being laid down. This word would also be the same word for a sail of a ship. So think massive piece of fabric being laid down on all corners. And on this sheet would be all sorts of animals. It says all sorts of animals, birds of the air, and reptiles. What Peter is seeing is reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1 as God creates. See, nowadays, animals are all around us but hidden, except the, your next-door neighbor who gets the ring camera and finds the bobcat that goes through the neighborhood, right? You all get the next-door app and get all of that? Okay, just making sure we all get the same stuff. So bobcats are somewhere out here, right? And so they're existing. So Peter is seeing all these animals that typically would be hidden or so far away. He's seeing them be dropped down. And and then he is told by God, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But, But Peter has Leviticus 11 in his mind. He knows how to catalog things from available to eat to not available to eat. He understands the custom of what is good and what is bad. It's kind of like if I took Cooper to a pet store and he was wanting a pet. They have a lot of animals that I do not think are good enough for pets. We are not going to grab a snake. We don't need an iguana, right? Like we may just stay focused in the fish area, to be honest, but maybe in the cat and dog section, maybe, all right? Peter is cataloging as he is dropping these animals. This, I could rise and eat. This, I could not. This, I could. This, I could not. He knows what is available. So he kind of rebukes God. I'm not going to violate the law. No way. God rebukes him back. What I have made clean, do not call common. See, Jesus has addressed this idea of what could be eaten. And in Mark chapter 7, he says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and then it's expelled. Mark adds a parenthesis there in chapter 7, or we do now, but it says, thus he declared all foods clean. But see, Peter is holding to Leviticus 11, not Mark 7. Peter is holding to tradition, not what God has spoken. We would never be more concerned with tradition than Scripture, though, would we? See, Peter is having to change his mindset, and it tells us that it happens three times. Probably because Peter was a little stubborn with this idea. No, God, I'm not doing it. Let me show you again. No, no, God, I'm not... Let me show you a third time. Three times it takes Peter to get things sometimes. How many times did he deny? Three. How many times was he restored after the resurrection? Three. How many times was this thing dropped down? Three. Peter's a little bit of a slow learner. Probably because he's a little stubborn. I don't know anything about that. So, uh, my wife's in nursery today, so we're just going to believe that, right? (laughs) Verse 19, while Peter was pondering this vision... The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise 
and go down and accompany them without hesitation. Don't get in your head. Don't worry about what they look like, where they're from, their ethnicity. Don't worry about any of these things. Go with them without hesitation. Why? Because I sent them to you. Just like I said, rise, kill, and eat. Rise and go. Verse 21, and Peter went down to the men and he said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, he was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited the guest in, and the next day they rose and went away, and he took some brothers from Joppa, some other Jewish Christians, with him. Peter is responding to what God has said. Verse 25, and when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and he fell down at his feet, and he worshiped him. But Peter said, no, 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 stand up. I too am a man. And, and as he talked with him, they went in, and he found that Cornelius had gathered many people. Cornelius wasn't just wanting to hear this by himself. No, he knows that this man of God is coming to teach him, and so his whole family has invited everybody that he can convince. Come and hear what this man has to say. And so Peter says, where are we? Verse 28. Thank you, Kennedy. It says this, and he said to them, you yourselves know how it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. He's starting to get it. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. He doesn't mention the three times having to get the vision, but he, he did it this time. I asked then, why was I sent? Peter's starting to understand what God is doing. Yes, it, it was uncommon for a Jew, and it was custom that a Jew would never enter into the house of a Gentile. For then they would be unclean and unable to worship. But Peter understands that God has a bigger picture here going on. That if God is calling him to do this, then he needs to be more concerned with what God is saying, not with this tradition. See, once again, this was a tradition. It doesn't say in the Old Testament law you could not do this. No, this was a rabbinic tradition that was handed down. But once again, we are so prone to follow traditions. I love how Peter teaches that God has shown me not to call any person common or unclean. He got a vision of animals, but he's starting to understand God wasn't talking about eating. Peter is realizing that every man that he is seeing and woman before him is an image bearer of God, that all are loved by God, desired by God, that ethnicity or country of origin, color of skin, language spoken at home does not qualify or disqualify anyone from being found by God. Verse 34, Peter opens his mouth and he says these pivotal words. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God shows no partiality. He has no favorites. He doesn't say, oh, the door's open to some of you, but it's closed to you guys. Get away from me. No, all are welcome. All are invited. All are offered salvation. Timothy tells us that God desires all to be saved. But Jesus was already teaching this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father. 
John chapter 6, verse 40, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Acts chapter 2, verse 20, this is Peter teaching, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. From 35 to about 44, Peter teaches very succinctly the gospel message the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the salvation of sins, for the payment of our debt. And in verse 44, this is where it all changes. While Peter was teaching, while he was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jewish Christians that came with Peter from Joppa, they they were amazed Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was being poured out even on the Gentiles. We have a Pentecost moment from Acts chapter 2 where these flaming tongues were coming down in Acts chapter 2 and and signifying the salvation that has come to those people. Now we are seeing a similar thing happening among these Gentiles. They haven't been circumcised. They have not been baptized. And yet they have received the Holy Spirit. They have been sealed for salvation. This changes everything. Peter then says, because they're speaking in tongues, verse 46, they're hearing him speak in tongues and extolling God. Peter says, can anyone withhold water, verse 47, for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ Then they ask him to remain for some days to continue to teach. In this passage in Acts 10, we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the salvation that is offered through his life, death, and resurrection, breaks every barrier known to man. Everyone is offered the salvation that Jesus purchased. Every. Everyone who will believe can be saved. The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. This is the first time that we have seen that happen in the book of Acts or in Scripture. Salvation is confirmed by God in this moment. Paul will take this because Peter will go back to the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 and say, guys, you don't know what's happening. They have to come up with new rules for how do we have these non-Jewish believers. Like, what should they practice? They'll talk about like, all right, they need to stay away from blood. You can look at that in in, uh, Acts chapter 15. But they have to get a new paradigm because salvation has changed in their minds. Paul says this is the mystery in Ephesians 3, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. In Galatians 3, verse 28, he says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. No, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. God does not show partiality. There is no segregation. There is no division. All belong in the family of God, in the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus displayed this throughout his ministry, didn't he? You think about the people that belonged around Jesus. A woman with six husbands belonged around Jesus. A rich tax collector that was up in a tree belonged with Jesus. A criminal on the cross belonged with Jesus. An uneducated fisherman belonged with Jesus. Little children belonged with Jesus. Possessed women, blind men, hurting, hopeless, the rich, the poor, the smart, the uneducated, the religious, and all the likes, they belonged with Jesus. He welcomed them in and said, I want you with me. We now need to respond as a church and as a people. We need to respond because it is on our doorstep to now live out this tangible representation of the love of God and to tell everybody around us, you belong here. You have a place here. You are a part of us. We say it on our cards on our yard signs, everywhere we are. You belong here. We, everyone we meet, everyone we know, everyone who walks through our doors, everyone who is interested, you belong here. You have a place here. You are welcome here. No matter the color of your skin, the country of your origin, your native language, your tax bracket, your work status, your shower status, I don't care. You belong here. No matter your history, your scars, your struggles, your doubts, your troubles, you belong here. I don't care if you've been divorced, had an abortion, lost a loved one, committed a crime, filed for bankruptcy, you belong here. I don't care if you're struggling with addiction, if you're deep in sin, if you're feeling hopeless and lost, you belong here. If you're depressed or overwhelmed, if you have no reason to live, you belong here. If you are old, if you are young, if you prefer hymns, if you prefer contemporary music, I don't care. You belong here. We are a place for you where you are known, where you are loved, where you are valued, where you are a part, where you have a name and your name matters. That is the message that I want us to scream from the rooftops to every neighbor, every co-worker, every searcher, every wanderer, every person with a past, every desirer of truth, everyone looking for answers. You belong here because we have the words of eternal life. It's one of our values. What does that mean? That we want to actively live it out, that we want every single person that walks through our doorways to experience it and to feel it and to know that they belong here, that they are an image bearer of God, that they are desired, that they are known, that they are valued. So to every guest that shows up for their first time, you belong here. To every long-tenured member that's been here way more years than I've even been alive, you belong here. To a person that simply shows up once a quarter, you belong here. To a person that just walks our do their dog on our property, you belong here to a person that gets food or supplies from us on a Wednesday morning. You belong here. To a person that's going to use our date night this Saturday. You belong here. You matter here. We want you here. I, I love one of my favorite lines is from a guy named John Perkins who spent most of his ministry life in the Mississippi Delta, probably the poorest 
section of our country. And he says this. John Perkins says, when we are serving people, we do not grant dignity to people. No, 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 no. Every single person is an image bearer of God. What do we do? We affirm the dignity that God has already bestowed upon them. We aren't making them a person. No, we are affirming that they have value and meaning and God desires them. We affirm it in people. Belonging matters. When you feel like you don't belong, you stand on the outside, you feel judged, you come late, you leave early, you assume everyone is looking at you, judging you, wishing you were not here. We want everyone to feel like they belong, that they're a part, that they are one of us. That's why we give guests shirts. You get the uniform already. You belong. You're here. I'm going to end with two stories of people um, as we close up this morning. The first is Mary Hennings. You probably don't know her by Mary Hennings. You probably know her by Miss Mary. Miss Mary lived around our building for about four or five months in the spring. I got to see her about every week. She would come by. Sometimes she would bring gifts for me or Carlin. If she found a candle or some clothes, she always wanted to give us something. Sometimes she would ask for a can to be opened or some water. Miss Mary was one of us. Miss Mary was part of our church. She was on the roll because Mary belonged because Mary was a person at First Baptist, and our people treated her that way. Pat Moore, when she would show up, would always bring extra bottles of water in hopes to see Miss Mary. Miss Mary, every time she showed up to worship, Steve Jevons would either get up and go sit with her or call her over so she would not sit alone because she belonged. See, there's a difference in just allowing somebody to be and allowing someone to belong. The second person that I see demonstrating belonging is Joanne Pollard. She's going to be embarrassed, I tell you this, but this is the case. Joanne on Wednesday shows up to help out with our distribution. She's been there faithfully for 